Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right. Well, as Miss Rhonda and the kids head back to Kids Church, let me invite you to take your Bible and go to uh, the book of Titus, the, the letter of Titus. We're going to be in Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 10 and reading down to the end of chapter 1. And really, this is going to, um, in, in a lot of ways, um, follow up with where we were last week um, as, we, uh, as we continue talking about the, the importance of, of, of church leadership. And, and so last week we looked at um, the, the biblical church leadership that's laid out in Scripture, especially in, in verses um, uh, uh, 1 through 9, 5 through 9 in, in chapter 1. Specifically, we looked at the, the biblical pattern of a plurality of elders within uh, a local church. And so if you missed that, um, I, would, I would highly encourage you to go listen to it on, on our website. That is loaded on fbcalamo.com. Uh, is I, I believe this is an area that we need to address in the life of our congregation. So last week I, I laid that out again. We've talked about that several times over the last year, um, about this, this biblical pattern of a plurality of elders um, and, uh, and how we need to, uh, I believe we need to take some steps to, to move forward uh, toward reflecting that a little bit more. Um, but also this morning, um, we're going to continue to build on, on the importance of biblical church leadership because of the reality of sin in the world in which we live. And, and because of the reality of sin in our own lives, we have to keep a close watch on the teaching of the church, okay? Now, now we've talked a lot about um, false teaching throughout the pastoral letters, through, through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and now in Titus. Uh, that, that's come up multiple times, and for good reason, uh, because it was a big part of what Paul uh, and Timothy dealt with in, in the church in Ephesus, uh, and now it's a big part of what Paul and Titus uh, are dealing with in the church in Crete, or, or maybe more likely in the churches in Crete. We'll talk more about that in just a sec. Um, but, but I wonder if this, this false teaching that's showing up in, in Titus is uh, maybe part of what Paul meant when he told Titus, what we saw last week, he said, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone. Okay, now, now, hear me, this is purely speculation, okay, so, so don't take this and, and say it's gospel truth, but it's at least possible, it's a possibility um, that, that Paul first addresses uh, last week elders. So, so Paul tells Timothy, um, I left you in Crete to, to set right, right, what was left undone, and to appoint elders in the churches. So we, we, he immediately launched last week into appointing elders, and this week he immediately ta- he talks about uh, false teaching. And so I wonder if, if maybe the, some of the false teaching that was circulating around the churches on the island uh, of Crete was not part of what was left undone. Um, now, we'll, we'll talk specifically about the, the false teaching, but what we see here is that this was a reality in the life of multiple churches in the New Testament. And it's still a reality in, in the life of churches today. So we have to, as the people of God, uh, we believe the church, right, is not a building, but it is the people. It's, it's the people of God, those who have been uh, saved by uh, 
God through Christ Jesus. Those who gather together saying, yes, I am a, I'm a follower of Christ, therefore I gather with other believers to worship him, to, to hear God's word proclaimed, uh, to, to fellowship together, to uh, observe the Lord's Supper together. As, as we do that, one of the charges given to us as the people of God is to guard the teaching of the church. Now, this is the, the job of pastors and elders, but it's not only the job of pastors and elders. Because in, in Baptist life, we have this belief that we call the priesthood of the believer. Meaning, uh, we don't believe that you have to go through anyone to have access to God. We believe you have direct access as a follower of Christ, as a believer, you have direct access to God through Christ Jesus. That's why we don't have Baptist confessional set up, okay? You come into my office, I don't have like a little cubicle uh, with a black curtain hanging over it for you to come in and confess all your sins to me. Listen, if you're struggling with, with sin in an area, I'm, I'm more than happy to counsel you, but I don't think you have to like come tell me so that I can tell God and then you can be forgiven. You have direct access to God in Christ Jesus. That also means one of, one of the, the primary convictions that we've had as Protestants, simply meaning non-Catholics, um, through, through the years, the, the primary um, thrust of the Protestant Reformation was to get back to biblical fidelity. Meaning we want everyone to have access to Scripture. And, and, and we've done a pretty good job of that. I mean, we, we have better access now than any generation in the history of mankind to the Bible. In fact, I'm willing to bet that at least... Several of us in here, I'm willing to, I'll even say most of us, probably have some sort of a Bible app on our phones, right? I mean, you can even set it to, like, for the Bible to talk to you in the morning. Like, you can set it to, to, to pop up on your screen. And yet, isn't it telling that, that with the most access of any generation in history, we're among the most biblically illiterate in history as well? And we'll, we'll, we'll circle all back to this at the end. Um, so I'm, I'm just giving you a preview of where we're going, but... But part of guarding the doctrine, guarding the teaching of the church, is that the people of God know the Word of God. Okay? Because if you don't know it, I mean, I could be just like spitting outright heresy up here, and you might not know it. If you want some examples of, of where that's happening, I'll, I'll happily share that with you after the service. Okay? I don't want to like have to say that and then defend it here, but I'll, I'll give you some what I think are pretty decent examples of how that's happening in the culture around us. Okay? All that to say, we're talking false teaching this morning, and, and in light of where we were last week, talking about leadership, it, it leads right into to talking about false teaching this morning, okay? So uh, go with me to Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 17, and let's stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 10, Paul writes, For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and, not pay, and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. 
To the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray that you would speak through your word. That you would maybe reveal to us some areas where we have been tempted to buy into false teaching. That you would help us as a church body to keep a close watch on the doctrine, on the teaching of First Baptist Church. That we might be declaring boldly and faithfully the truth of your word. Lead us this morning. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Um, now, I'm going to give you, uh, we, we talked a little bit about how, how the false teaching was just rampant in, in the first century churches. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some, a list of some verses, okay? You don't have to turn there. Um, I didn't put them on the screen. So if you're, if you're a note taker, you might just jot down these references. Um, but we have several passages from several different New Testament voices um, telling us the, the reality of false teaching, and then we'll talk in just a second about what that means for us, okay? So first of all, let's start with Jesus. He's a good place to start in the New Testament, okay? This is what Jesus said, Matthew seven fifteen. He said, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. And then Mark thirteen twenty two and 23. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. Okay, so there are two passages where it's Jesus speaking. He says, hey, you need to watch out for these things because these are going to be reality. Paul. Now, now we have Paul and Titus this morning where we're going to be. And in numerous other places, the one that I pulled out is actually in the, in the book of Acts, chapter 20. Verses 29 and 30. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Now, this is important because uh, this is Paul speaking to the elders at the church in Ephesus. Later on, Paul will write Ephesians addressing some of the false teaching. Later on, even after that, Paul will write letters to, two letters to Timothy, who is an elder at Ephesus, who is dealing with the very false teaching that Paul said was coming. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9. Here's, here's an example out of that, out of 2 Timothy that we uh, would have read just earlier this year. He says, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. For among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women, overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions, always learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. 
but they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Janus and Jambres. Okay, now, now, as I said, in Acts 20, Paul said, I know that savage wolves are going to come in after I leave and are going to, to um, spread false teaching among the flock. In 2 Timothy, he's addressing this very thing that has happened and how Timothy is to, to navigate it. Okay, Peter. In 2 Peter 2, verses 1 through 3, this is what we're told. There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. We have John in uh, 1 John 2, verses 18 through 23. He says, Children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, now many Antichrists have come. But this we know that, uh, by this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. So notice here, uh, John is writing to, uh, to those who in the church about false teaching. He said, I'm writing to you because you know the truth. I'm reminding you of the truth that you know in order that you might recognize false teaching when it arises. In 2 John 7, we say that because 2 John only has one verse, okay? 2 John, se- or one chapter. So 2 John verse 7, many deceivers have gone out into the world They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Then finally, in the little book of Jude, the second to last book in the Bible, Jude verses 3 and 4, he says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. Okay? So all these passages to say false teaching was a reality in the churches that existed in the first century. And I would argue it continues to be a reality today, okay? So, so here's the reality of rebellion in the churches. Now, keep in mind, Paul's dealing with false teaching within the context of local churches. All of Paul's letters are written either to uh, church, local church bodies or pastors of local churches, elders of local churches. So he's not, a lot of times he's not talking about like false teaching out in the world, He's talking about false teaching that's infiltrated churches. Okay, so, we're, so this morning we're not talking about dealing with those in the culture at large who don't believe the gospel, although some of this rings true as well. And what we talked about last week in, in uh, the role of elders, we said that, that elders needed to uh, teach the truth, 
but also defend the truth uh, against, um, against its opponents. So th- this morning we're talking really about the latter, although again, if we, if we do the former, if we teach the truth of the Word of God, hopefully that helps us not always be on the defensive, especially within um, the church body. Okay? So we're talking specifically about contending for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all, just as Jude verse 3 told us. Okay? Awesome. Now we're ready to begin. Welcome to First Baptist Church. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. We're going to see some realities of, of false teaching, reality of rebellion within the local church, and that'll help us to be on guard for it. And then at the end, we'll, we'll talk about some steps uh, that, to take in order to guard the teaching, guard the doctrine from false teaching, okay? Here's the first reality. False teachers are cunning, okay? Look at me at verses 10 and 11. Paul says, for there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. So this is, this is Jews. These are Jews who are trying to um, lead people, lead followers of Christ to say, well, in order to actually be a follower of Christ, you really have to be a Jew first, okay? or else you're not really a follower of Christ. And so what they're doing is, is laying burdens on people that Christ himself didn't lay as followers of Christ. So they're full of empty talk and deception. And then look at 11. It is necessary to silence them, for they are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't, and here's the key, in order to get money dishonestly. So we have a couple of kind of key words here. We have the word deception, right? So so in other words, they're not being upfront about their motives. And then we're told that they're um, seeking to gain money dishonestly. We're also told that they're ruining entire households. Now, now, primarily when we think of household, we think of like a family, right? We think of like a family household. Uh, that might be what he's referring to here, but, but it's most likely he's referring to house churches. So across the island of Crete, it's possible that Paul and Titus and some others have gone and planted multiple house churches. And what's now happened is false, teach, false teachers are coming in and are leading entire churches, entire church bodies astray because of their teaching. Okay, so, so entire church bodies, however small, may have been destroyed because of this false teaching. That's a problem. In fact, Paul would say here, he says, it's necessary to silence them. So understand this, false teaching is not an issue to toy with, right? It's not something that we just simply say, well, we'll address it later. For, for one thing, because it's, it's not something to toy with, it's not something to, to just kind of put on the back burner because it's often subversive, right? If you look at some, some things that are taking over our culture and are now slowly eking their way into the church, um, it, it's true in our culture of political correctness, right? We see this in the, in the culture around us. Well, you can't say that. And instead of saying that you just can't say that, here's how we're going to, con- here's how we're going to um, tell you that you need to define things. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll allow that into the church. With, with so much confusion over gender identity and, and sexuality and, um, and, and what it means to, to defend life, what life itself means, if we're not careful, the teachings of the culture can make their way into the church. We have to be ready to 
proclaim the truth and defend the truth against, uh, against opponents. Now, listen, not every issue has to be dealt with immediately, but false teaching is one that absolutely must be dealt with swiftly. And then we see the, the, the motive for the false teachers in Crete, right? We're told that they, were, uh, that they were deceiving in order to get money dishonestly. So apparently, being a false teacher paid well. I would argue that's often still the case, okay? And the, the whole point is this. Rarely would, would someone who's a false teacher say, you know, I really don't believe the Bible. Right? Like, like, rarely would somebody, certainly in a church, say, you know, I just don't believe the Bible at all. By the way, if you're ever in a church and they say that, it's a false teacher, okay? Like, like there's, your, there's your, like, flashing warning signs. It's usually not that obvious. But what they often will do is take a portion of the Bible, twist it to make it say whatever they want it to say. Right? So, again, that's why it's important that we as believers know the Word. So false teachers are cunning. Secondly, we see that false teachers must be confronted. Look at verses 12 through 14. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. Now, Paul begins verse 12 by quoting a Cretan writer by the name of Epimenides, okay? Now, now in fact, um, this quote had kind of become so widely known that to Cretize was to lie or to cheat, okay? How's that, like, how's that for a reputation? Oh, you're from Crete. That's, you're a liar and a cheater, okay? So, so Crete had a reputation, and, and, and apparently Paul had seen enough of this to affirm it, right? Cretans are always uh, liars and, uh, let me, I just lost my place here, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and Paul in Holy Scripture says it's true, okay? He says, yes, I've seen this, I, I, I agree with this. But then he says that false teachers must be rebuked sharply. Don't miss that. They must be rebuked sharply. But he goes on. He doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say they need to be rebuked sharply. He goes on and he adds a qualifier to it. So that, he says they must be rebuked sharply. So that they may be sound in the faith. And may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. Now, don't miss this. Paul's not saying these folks need to be rebuked for the sake of rebuking them alone. He's saying that you don't just need to like go and shake an angry finger in their face for the sake of it. It was not a condemnation. The, pur- the purpose of rebuking them sharply was so that they might repent and trust in Christ, so that they might be sound in the faith. The goal is salvation. And here's the thing. If you have a believer who's, who's already been led astray or, or even a teacher who's been led astray, the goal is restoration, not embarrassment. 
In fact, this is the whole point of Matthew 18, which is kind of the, the foundational passage for church discipline. The whole idea behind church discipline is not the the church pointing a finger and saying, how dare you? The the point of church discipline is saying, we're we're begging you, be restored to Christ and be restored to the fellowship. This is how Matthew 18, 15 starts. This whole passage on, that we would kind of say is is the foundation for church discipline. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. Do you notice that? doesn't say share it as a prayer request slash gossip. You've been there, huh? Okay, you too. All right. (laughs) Rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. It's the whole goal of it is to win the brother, win the sister. And and Paul, I think here, is even saying that's the the goal with false teachers. It's not to just shut them up. It's it's that they might repent, that they might come to faith in Christ if they haven't already. If they have and they're just, have gone haywire, that they would come back, that they would be restored. In fact, this is what Spurgeon said about this passage. I love this. He said, if in any quarter of the town, people are more sunken in vice than anywhere else. So in other words, he's saying, listen, if there's a part of town where like all the really, really bad sinners are, there the gospel is to be carried with more prayer and more faith than anywhere else. Depend upon it. Listen to this. God can bless his word anywhere. This is incredibly important, right? Our goal is never to condemn people, not even false teachers. The goal should ultimately be to see them turn from sin and turn to Christ. So so listen, if you know someone who's being led away by false teaching, show them the truth in God's word. And as I said at the beginning, if you want some examples, come ask me privately, and I'll name names, okay, of, of some, some teachers in our culture that I think are dangerous. But, but I think that's best done one-on-one so I can explain why rather than just giving you a laundry list here, okay? I'll, I'll share with you my spreadsheet. I'm just kidding. I don't have a spreadsheet of false teachers. Not yet. Um, so if you know of someone who's being led astray by, by questionable false teaching, then then have a conversation with them. If you know of somebody who's teaching false things, talk to them. Now, now if that's happening in the church, that's probably something that, that I as the pastor need to know about, but you still have a responsibility to go and talk to them as well. Remember, priesthood of the believer. That means I have no more access to God than you have. We, we all have direct access to God, therefore we, have, we all have direct access to God's word, and the Holy Spirit guiding us, therefore we're able to correct one another rather than just saying, well, that's a job for the preacher. I'm going to go to him and let him straighten everything out. Okay. Now, as I said earlier, false teaching is not something we mess around with, right? Paul saw that it would be an issue in Ephesus, and he was right, but, but the goal is not just to call out false teaching to, to embarrass someone. The, the goal is always, always correction and restoration to God. Okay, so, so, so far we've seen that false teachers are cunning and, and that they must be confronted. And then finally, here, here's, the, here's the last thing. False teaching must be condemned. Notice I didn't say false teachers. False teaching must be condemned. False teachers are to be confronted. False teaching is to be condemned. Now, now look at me at verse 15 and 16. 
To the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. They claim to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Now, this may seem kind of like a weird spot to say that, that false teaching has to be condemned, but, but notice this, okay? He starts off, and first of all, he talks about the pure. To the pure, everything is pure. Um, by the way, some throughout church history have taken this, and, and you want to talk about a false teaching, have taken this verse, like this section of this verse, out of context. To the pure, everything is pure. That means anything goes, because I'm a follower of Christ, it means I can do whatever I want. Um, no. And, and, I, and the rest of the Bible would back me up on that statement, okay, on, on, on that. He, what he's saying is that those who are pure, those who have been saved, those who are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, uh, will seek the things which are pure. And to those who refuse, he says, even their mind and their conscience are defiled. Um, Paul would... In, in Romans 1.25, would put it this way. He said, he'd say they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And he closes out this, this section by talking about the fact that those who would deceive others in false teaching may very well be deceived themselves. They claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. So, so, so here's the thing, right? The, these false teachers that Paul's addressing are religious. Not always. I think, I think you can point to some cases where I think people know specifically that they are um, twisting the truth of God's word. I think in some instances, people would think they're teaching the truth when they've been deceived themselves. They, they may think they're teaching the truth, but they're not. And in fact, their lives show that they don't know God at all, right? So, so in other words, while they may think they're believers, they're not. And then, then in, in that case, our question is, that, well, what do we do with unbelievers? We share the gospel with them, right? We, we, we seek to, to bring them to Christ. Okay, so, so here's the last question. What do we do with all this, right? How do we protect against false teaching in the church? Now, let me, let me say this here. I don't think there's a foolproof method, okay? And here's why. Um, because of the reality of sin. sin. Sin's a reality in your life. Sin's a reality in my life. None of us is immune to it. And if you think you're immune to it, you're really on dangerous footing. Okay? So, so while I don't think we can ever completely squash the possibility that false teaching will creep in, we can certainly take some steps uh, within the local body to guard the, the doctrine. So uh, here I have, I have three quick things to help us do that, okay? First of all, we need biblical church leadership. This goes back to what we talked about last week and, and this whole passage that's tied in together beginning in verse 5. Okay, I believe part of that is, is qualified elders, a plurality of elders who can guard the doctrine of the church. And again, if, if you missed that last week, I, I highly encourage you to go listen to that message um, on our website, and, and we'll talk more about this in the coming days. And this is, this is not me, as I said last week, it's not me you know, raising an angry fist saying, um, this is what we're doing 
you know, if you're not with me, you're against me. No, it's just me simply saying, this is the pattern I believe we see in Scripture. And if we want to be as faithful as possible to the Word of God, we have to ask ourselves, um, are we aligned with where God's Word would, would have us go? And, and this, is, this is me saying, I, I think this is an area that we need to address and some changes that we need to make in our, in our structure. Okay? Secondly, we need regenerate church membership. Now, maybe you've never heard that phrase before. Let me explain that. We, we don't allow just anyone to like walk in the doors and say, I want to be a member of First Baptist Church. And in that moment, say, awesome, welcome to the family, right? We have some questions. Tell me about your, uh, tell me about your faith. Tell me about your coming to faith in Christ. Um, tell me about how you're growing in Christ, okay? So by regenerate church membership, it simply means we want to know that the members of First Baptist Church have a testimony of turning from sin and trusting in Christ. And we're not looking for perfection, but, but we are looking for progression in the Christian life, right? So that's why we only allow uh, people to become members who have trusted in Christ and can say, yes, I have placed my faith and trust in Christ Jesus, and who have been baptized according to our understanding of baptism. Okay, now, now hear me. Rarely, and, and by rarely I mean this has not happened in the three and a half years that I've been here. Rarely would we exclude someone from attending. There are extreme cases um, where, where I would say we, for, the, for the sake of the body, that might be a good idea, but those are extremely extreme. Rarely would we tell somebody, no, you cannot attend church here, okay? Um, but membership is another issue. We believe that membership matters, and so uh, that's, why we, that's why we have requirements for faith in Christ, for, um, for, for baptism. All right, so church leadership, church membership, all those help us guard the doctrine of the church. And then here's the last thing. We need to know God's word. While leadership matters, as I mentioned earlier, in Baptist life, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. That means you don't need a seminary education in order to understand Scripture. Right? You have direct access to God and to His Word, but we need to know it. And as I said, it, it's, there's an incredible irony that we have more access to God's Word, easier access to God's Word than any generation in history, and we are among the most biblically illiterate. We've neglected the reading of God's word. And, and here's, here's the truth, right? If we're going to recognize counterfeit teaching, if we're going to guard against that, we have to know the real thing. So as we close this morning, um, the, the thing that, where, where all of this starts, if you want to be a person who's, who's in God's word and, and who, who knows what the truth of God's word is, that, that starts... By knowing the Father. We'd, we'd, we'd say that by, by being a believer, right? So this is, this is difficult work that requires the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And, and to, to put it as simply as I can, it, you can't do this if you're not saved. You can't do this if you're not in Christ. And so I would invite you to turn from sin this morning. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I would, I would invite you to turn from sin to trust in Christ, and in so doing, you'll join a family of people who are learning what it means to continually trust in Christ 
as Savior. If you're here and you've never done that, you can, you can do that this morning. I put a simple prayer up on the screen. As I always say, there's no magic words. This isn't like a magic formula. There's no fairy dust. This is just um, words for you to pray to the Father. And that's simply, Lord Jesus, my life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all, and I will follow him. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. As we stand to sing in just a moment, I would invite you to come. Um, I'll be on your right. Chuck will be down here on your left. We'd love to visit with you and, and show you how you can trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, maybe in the past couple of weeks, as we've talked about biblical church leadership, you've sensed the call of God on your life to serve him in full-time ministry. If that's you, I'd love to visit with you about that. As I've shared before, I'm praying that God would raise up an army of ministers, an army of people from FBC Alamo to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We get to do it through the cooperative program. Wouldn't it be awesome if we were able to say, we have people from FBC Alamo serving Christ all over the world, proclaiming the truth of God to the nations, proclaiming the truth of God to our neighbors. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, which, which reminds us of things that we need to know. And especially this morning as we see the importance of guarding the truth of your word in our local church. We know that we can't do that on our own. We know our enemy is subversive. We know that he is manipulative. We know that he likes to take the, the truth of your word and twist it ever so slightly. So we pray we would be on guard against that. That we would be people devoted to knowing your word, to knowing the truth of it, so that we might recognize when it's being mishandled, when it's being misrepresented, when it's outright being lied about, falsified. May we guard the truth in the church. May we proclaim the truth to the culture. Help us to do that. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 10.30. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.